my money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank. Young money. Money, 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 money. It's the rich man's world. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. And good afternoon or good morning uh, if you're out in other parts of the country. But we have a wonderful show here today. We have uh, Terry Cook, uh, actually, who's a a friend and uh, business associate. But uh, we're going to talk to Terry today from uh, North Carolina about how life insurance helps save the family farm, which is just a a great uh, subject to discuss ways to save on the Economic Warriors show. First of all, I just want you to tell the audience about your background uh, where you grew up and on a family farm and what you've been doing professionally. Then we're going to get into how your dad used life insurance to save the family farm. Okay. Uh, originally from Washington State, uh, uh, born in Seattle. Um, grew up on a farm in southeastern Washington State. Uh, I hated it growing up, too much work. Uh, I thought I was part of the free labor pool, but uh, we worked hard. Uh, grew uh, sugar beets, hay, corn, wheat. Also had a dairy farm, uh, which is a uh, 24-7, 365-day-a-year job. But uh, wanted to get out of it, but I cherish my memories and what I had there. Uh, went to school at, uh, at BYU and um, got into the insurance business mainly because of my belief system in it. Uh, I think I told you that I'm a product of uh, life insurance. And... Um, and so um, got into it at the age of 21 as a college agent, uh, helped me uh, through school. And uh, when I was getting ready to get out of school, I, I, was, I, I decided to, uh, to get into it full time. And uh, for the last 25 years, I've uh, run regions for a couple of different life insurance companies. And uh, I now run a region for the Southeast. And I live in the Charlotte area. Uh, that's great. Now, what intrigued me is that, okay, maybe I got this wrong, Terry, but you said you, you learned a lot of this stuff from your dad, am I correct, is where he was a really prudent, thrifty guy who used to put a lot of money in, um, uh, in life insurance and how it saved, saved the family farm. I thought it was in Iowa. Was it in Washington State? I, I would, maybe Washington I, State. No, I, Washington State. Southeastern Washington State. Most people think that uh, Washington is uh, green and wet. But uh, when you cross the mountains, there's a desert over there and uh, a great big farming area. So I grew up in Washington State. Okay, all right. Well, I, on the announcement, Terry, I said it was Iowa. So any event. So, but so, but any event. So, tell me, tell us about the economics of the farming business because it's a really tough business. Am I correct? It is. It is. I uh, we we never made a lot of money. There were you know a couple of times when you know I got after my dad. I'd say, Dad, you do all of this, you know, you work so hard, and you, you never know if you're going to make any money. And he always says, well, I'm not in it for the money. Uh, he loved it. But uh, he grew up on a farm in Idaho. Maybe that's where he Okay, okay, yeah, that's where I got it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he grew up on a farm in, in Idaho. He was the oldest of uh, eight children. And um, when he was getting ready to leave to do a volunteer mission, missionary work, 
his dad told him on a train platform that he wouldn't be there when he got back. It was going to be for two years and that he had a brain tumor. And he said, there's two things I want you to know. He said, number one, you're the oldest, and I want you to help mom raise the rest of the children, the seven children, which she did. And then he said, the second thing is I have a life insurance policy that will pay the 60-acre farm off, and uh, that should be enough to um, help you and mom raise raise the children. It was only 60 acres, but uh, he did that when he got back. He sent uh, several of them through college. And so my dad was always a big, big believer in life insurance, I think, because of that. And uh, he always carried a lot of life insurance. We didn't have a lot of money, but um, he kind of taught me the life insurance should be sacrificed for. And uh, we had a pretty good-sized farm, about 500 acres, and he used to have to borrow about uh, 250000 every year uh, to buy fertilizer and seed, pay the hired men, uh, live on. And then at the end of the year, we would sell the crops, hopefully have enough money to pay the bank off. Sometimes we did, sometimes we didn't. And uh, and then uh, go at it another year. He'd go up one side of the street and down the other side of the street, hitting up banks uh, to see if they would loan him some money. So, 70s, I graduated from high school in 1975. Um, in 70, early 70s, Jimmy Carter was the president. I think it was 1972. And um, my parents uh, called us, uh, there were five of us, and um, they said, we may lose the farm. We can't get a loan. If we do get a loan, interest rates are going to be 24, 26% interest, and we just can't afford that. We, we, um, we may lose the farm. Oh, boy. And they wanted us to, to all know that. And uh, so we were worried. I remember going to school being worried. And, uh, and then our insurance guy came out. My dad was paying between fourteen and $16,000 a year for his whole life insurance. And, and so our, our, our agent came out and said, well, Bill, that's what my dad went by. He said, you can just borrow from your life insurance. You got enough money in there. And so um, he was able to um, borrow money, enough money from his, from his life insurance policy at that point in the early 70s uh, because he believed in it and had accumulated some cash in it to um, really save the farm. I mean, it really, uh, if you ask him, I mean, he invested in two things, the farm and, and his whole life insurance, and, and kind of used it as his, uh, as his uh, platform. But that's, th- those are really the two things that he invested in. That, that, that's a phenomenal story, uh, Terry. And when you told me about that last week, I said, i got to have you on my radio show because the negativity, you know, or I, I, I don't know, to me, I mean, this, I'm going to ask you a philosophical question, but you've been in, this, in the finance business a long time now, Terry. Doesn't I mean, everyone says this is a dumb thing, but uh, it's really not, is it, putting money into this well, stuff? Well, you know, sometimes I get, I get, you know, first of all, it, it's, I guess it's how you're taught, and I think there's a lot of information out there that is just untrue. Um, sometimes uh, I'm asked... Um, hey, what is the rate of return on life insurance? And you hear a lot of the radio pundits and personalities say, well, you can't do that because it's a horrible rate of return. It's a horrible rate of return. Well, um, we still have the farm in the family, and when people say, well, what's the rate of return on a life insurance policy? And when I think of my dad's policies, you know, the farm's now paid off. 
it's worth a lot of money. Yeah, you know, my dad doesn't really look at money the way most people do, so he doesn't really think he's he's just kind of an old farmer drives an old pickup uh, ninety, so he doesn't drive now. He's living with my sister. But uh, when when people say, "What's the rate of return? What's the rate of return?" <laughs> I tell them I can't calculate that because I have two sisters that are school teachers now. Uh, I was able to go to college. I have a brother that's disabled, fell off a roof. He was a roofing contractor, and my dad provided a home for him and his family free and clear on the farm. And um, we have lots of kids. I have eight grandkids. And I just can't tell you what a blessing that has been. And it not only goes back to my dad, but to my grandfather, who I never met, on on how important it was to take care of the family through life insurance. Not only death benefits, but also you know, the, the, the living benefits, being able to have access to the cash and also have guarantees there. Yeah, that's a, you know, just a, that's an incredible story, Terry, and it's true. And when you told me that, I said, we got to share this with the public. Um, now, the thing is, but, you know, again, you know, we got Dave Ramsey, and you got uh, celebrities like Dave Ramsey saying this is a horrible thing. And, um, but <laughs> uh, it's not. And, um, and you've read my, they, they, go ahead. Yeah. They think short term, in my opinion. They think, you know, short term. And uh, to me, life insurance should be, you know, multi-generational. You know, my grandfather, who I never met, you know, I'm being blessed because of him. And uh, we now have children and grandchildren. My wife put whole life policies on our kids uh, so they would understand life insurance. And we've started buying life insurance policies on our uh, grandchildren now. And so, it's multi-generational, and I think a lot of the radio people that uh, that talk about this, it's really just a lack of understanding. I want to say ignorance, but maybe that's too strong of a word, but uh, it, they just haven't lived it. And uh, I can tell you that uh, you know, life insurance is because of love, and it should be multi-generational. You should think 60, 70, 80 years out how, how it will bless your family like it's blessed my family. Yeah, that that's 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 an awesome story. Now the whole thing is now you're you're in Charlotte North. You're in the Charlotte area. Charlotte is that yeah. how you say it down yeah. there? Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, but you know the funny thing is is that uh, w- w- you've read my books, but um, uh, but the but the funny thing is is that the banks are, are the biggest purchasers of stuff than anybody, aren't they? What do you what do you say well, about that? Yeah, banks. Yeah, and 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 you know, life insurance is more than just a death benefit. I don't think that. Um, Again, the people that preach against it don't understand that, you know, there's all kinds of living benefits, uh, uh, long-term care benefits, um, access to cash, there's guarantees. But uh, the banks, and we happen to have one of the largest banks in the world right here in Charlotte, Bank of America, uh, they put uh, billions, not millions, but <laughs> billions of dollars into whole life insurance to be part of their safe assets which is just phenomenal. And I think that a lot of the people don't understand that uh, uh, banks are, are really the largest buyers of whole life insurance because of safety. Yeah, they are, you know, because I've written books about that. And that's true. The Bank of America is, I think, uh, I think the, they're one of the largest, if not the largest. It could be them or Wells Fargo, I'm not sure. But the fact so of the matter is... Some have billions. Yeah. So, but uh, Bank of America, and this is verifiable as... Um, Actually, because I was doing some work for someone down in your neck of the woods, um, Bank of America has over twenty-one billion. That's with a B. K 
cash surrender value on their books, uh, on their on, on their life insurance benefits, and the death benefit cherry on that bowly is called bank owned life insurance. I think it's, it's about five to six times that. So, so the one of the biggest banks in the world in your own backyard has um, more life insurance than anybody. But now you live in Charlotte, uh, Terry. How many people really know about this in, in Charlotte? Well, uh, not as many as, as, as should know that, you know. Um, very, very few people understand that banks have a lot of whole life insurance. They just um, they don't understand it. But the way I look at it is that the banks probably hire, uh, because I live here and a lot of my neighbors work for Bank of America, and a lot of these guys are really bright guys that went to Ivy League schools, got yeah. their MBAs there. And uh, if they think it's good, you know, for the bank as a safety tool, and uh, then it must be good. I mean, that's that's one way to take a look at it. But uh, yeah, they uh, they buy it as part of their tier one assets. And I've been told that it helped them get through this last economic downturn in 2008 and 2009 as well because it was safe money. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, matter of fact, and I have a friend actually uh, who actually one of his biggest customers of is Bank of America. And I'm doing some work for him, but he didn't know this. But uh, that's a great story, you know. Um, and the thing is, I hate to say it, but I, in my own practice, I, uh, I've, I've actually had 57 uh, life insurance claims paid over my career, which is pretty amazing. But, uh, um, but there's so many more stories like this. Do you have any other personal stories like like your family like that, where it's made a difference in someone's life? Well, uh, actually, when I first got into the business, I have a very, very good friend who I got into the business with, we golfed together, and um, he kind of got out of the business, but we had a $400,000 policy on him, and I called him up. We were going to go down to California. We were living in Utah at the time, and he wanted to, um, we wanted to go down there and do a little golfing vacation, and uh, I called him up and said, hey, are you ready to go? And he said, oh, I'm just not feeling good today, and uh, I kind of gave him a real hard time. I thought he was just kind of copping out on me. And uh, so I went down anyway, and I called him back, and I said, hey, how you doing, thinking that, you know, he was getting better. And uh, he uh, passed away six months later of leukemia. And uh, But um, his wife uh, was able to, you know, buy a home. They had a little girl. And uh, I'm not here to say that we can ever replace that and, and don't ever mean that we can, but we were sure the light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm sure you've got a lot of stories like that. But uh, I just take a look at it as being, you know, a real uh, blessing in people's lives and, and to be able to help help family out. Uh, the other thing my dad did is he bought policies on us and uh, always taught us that uh, you buy it because you love someone and, and you want to make sure that you take care of them. That's, you know, that's a wonderful, uh, that's a wonderful uh, story to, uh, to share with our audience, Terry. And uh, we need to hear more people like that because— you know, as I did the, my research in my book, I, I showed this is how Walt Disney started Disneyland. Everyone else, all the bank, the bankers turned him down. His family turned him down. They said, "Walt, you're crazy. You create, can't create a, a theme park uh, with uh, with for families and family fun uh, without alcohol." And and um, they said, "Walt, you're crazy." And he sold his his um, his Palm Springs home to finance the uh, initial study, but. He borrowed most of the money from his life insurance to start Walt Disney and, and, and Disneyland. So all I guess all we need, Terry, is, is a Mickey Mouse plan, huh? 
That's right. That's right. That's right. I love Disney World. I love (laughs) the family down there at Christmas time. But, you know, there's there's just so much more to it. We have a client in Greensboro that buys and sells dump trucks. And he got tired of going to the banks. And so he kind of started his own little uh, bank, his whole life insurance policy. And now he borrows from it. Buys a dump truck for twenty thousand, puts five thousand into it, sells it for thirty or thirty-five thousand, and uh, that's how he runs his business, which is just awesome because he doesn't have to, you know, go through any red tape to get a loan. Yeah, because um, uh, which we talk about loans now. You know, uh, full disclosure: I'm a Christian knight. We have a lot of Jews on this show, and you're a Mormon. You're our first Mormon, Terry. Which so congratulations. Okay. Uh, we love them yeah. all. Um, but one of the things which I've been studying: how does the Mormon religion, because uh, one of my whole things about usury, but how, what's the Mormon's, uh, Mormon's church uh, take on interest and usury and that type of thing? Well, first of all, uh, like, like a lot of religious organizations, uh, they're strictly against usury, and uh, they're also to try to get out of debt at any cost. I mean, uh, they... they um, don't have a problem for getting the debt for homes and education. Um, you know, cars may be a little iffy, but to try to stay away from debt, if at all possible, and also to really never take advantage of anyone by, by charging, you know, exorbitant interest rates, but always always be fair in your business dealings is, is, is what we're taught. Okay. All right. So now I'm going to throw you a curveball, Terry. Um uh, but Mitt Romney, <laughs> what was he? You know, he made all his money essentially by leveraging company and using debt. I don't know. It's, uh, but is he going to be coming U.S. senator? Probably in Utah. I would think so. He's the. He's I, I think he's got it in the bag there. I think he's got that uh, because uh, Orrin Hatch um, is endorsing him, and um, I don't know why. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm not from Utah, but. Um, it's kind of like with Hillary Clinton when Hillary moved to New York and became a senator there for about two months. Met, as you know, was the, was the uh, governor of Massachusetts, and then he's lived in California most of the time. And made a lot of money leveraging companies. Uh, you could argue both ways on what happened. Of course, Obama, you know, took that, but um, the other way. But yeah, I think he'll be the senator in in Utah and take over for Orrin Hatch. Um, I'm not a super big fan, but but uh, good good for him. Yeah, we had, yeah. So the, the whole thing is, I just I just wonder how he squares it all because you know as as I say, Toys R Us, you know that was a Bain Capital company. They went bankrupt, put forty thousand people out of work, and I I just I just want to have transparency. But thank you for your perspective on that. That's what I really wanted to get get at. Now, yeah, yeah. I don't know if he always. I, I'm not. I don't know his business well enough. But uh, we're there. Were we're strictly against usury. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, and um, now, but also Terry. Amongst other things, you also happen to be an author. How how do how do you have time to do this? What do you tell us about that? He's well, not, not I, I enjoy cows. writing. I I enjoy. I actually had a school teacher in high school. And it kind of tells you how you can affect people's lives. And uh, I was writing a paper, and, and he said, man, you're a pretty good writer. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of people saying that, those kinds of things to me. So it kind of always stuck with me that, hey, someone thinks I could do something good. 
And uh, so I've always enjoyed writing. And um, a few years ago, our son left on a two-year Mormon mission. And uh, I know a lot of people from around the country, and they said, what's he doing? What's, what's he out there doing? And, and, and I would explain to them. But uh, my books are, are called Three Mormon Missions, and it's about the young men that go, the ladies that go, and also the couples that go. And they're not really meant to be a religious group or to try to convert anyone to Mormonism. They're, they just take three ordinary people and kind of the challenges that they have to overcome uh, they all end good. I'm I'm one of those guys I like to, you know, end everything on a happy note. But they all have their own personal challenges that they have, whether it's a rift with their father. Um, one of the characters is from the farm, and he gets sent to New York City. That's where I went on my two-year mission. And, uh, I mean, when I, I, mean, uh, when I was there, they uh, said, okay, what you need to do is you need to go into the, into the subway to get to your area where you're going to be serving. I looked at him and I said, what's a subway? I mean, I've never been <laughs> on a subway before, you know. And uh, so it's just challenges like that. My last book that we coming out here is about couples and about a couple going to uh, the Delta in Mississippi. He was uh, coached baseball, so he starts an African-American baseball team to help the kids there. And and so um, kind of novels through, through that medium of um, Mormon missions, but not meant to be, um, um, you know, proselytizing or anything like that meant to be just be fun most of the people that read them say they're a good beach read okay okay and how can people find uh uh get copies of the book what, what do you what's the best way for them well to... there's there's you know you can go to barnes and noble and amazon and also the the publisher of the books is is lulu and if you do just three mormon missions terry cook uh they can you can find out where where to get those but uh, they're fun books to read uh Simple, easy reading. I'm not, you know, I can't write complicated stuff like you. <laughs> uh, well, well, so yeah, so yeah, I try. I try to make it simple, Terry. I mean, it's, you do, you do. It's easy to understand. I was just having fun with you. Well, thank you, thank you. So it's just, uh, so you know, one of these. I'm gonna, kinda, you know, you have a really good take on this, and you have really good values, Terry, and I admire that. And um, and your you, your kids now. You, we have a couple of dentists. What are your What are your kids doing now? Well, I have, I have three children, and uh, I have a daughter that's got four kids, and her son uh, has a trucking company doing very well, goes down to Charleston every, every day and picks up um, from the ports of Charlotte and does very well. My son is starting his very, very first job in less than a month. Uh, he went to a dental school and then did a residency at, at, uh, at the hospital here in Charlotte. And uh, he's a fast producer of children. He and his wife, uh, they have four children uh, under the age of five. Holy and, uh, They were there yesterday. I don't know how they do it. I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't know how they do it. But uh, some people were meant for that. They get a lot of anguish from people. But uh, when you're around them for about 10 minutes, you see that they were meant to have kids. I mean, okay. they do a great job. And then my baby, she graduated from uh, UNC Greensboro in art. And... Um, she uh, works at the community college and helps run the art department. Works for the dean there, and and uh, she um, uh, loves art and and was able to find a job in art and and loves it and and uh, so been very blessed with my family. My and then uh, been married to my wife for 37 years. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, and I met your daughter uh, last week, and she's a very pretty girl, and you're very blessed to have her. Um, question. Um, you know, uh, you know, 
this is kind of a philosophical uh, question, but you've been doing this a long time, Terry, and um, I just see more, I don't know if this is my take, um, that I see more and more financial engineering. I don't know if you saw that, but AT&T has been allowed to purchase uh, Time Warner. I don't know if you saw that, uh, for $65 billion, which, so it's turning everything to a big monopoly. Um, what, do you, what direction do you think the country's going, Terry, right now? You have a good insight on this. So. Well, you know, I think it, 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 you know, it, it goes in cycles, number one. I mean, you have all these mergers, which is, you know, the, the people that put them together say it's economies of scale, which means they don't have to use as many people to get the job done. And so, you know, it wrecks jobs most of the time. And uh, I think sometimes, and, and that's not all bad. I mean, yeah. I'm not against that entirely. But at the same time, you know, this is a people world. And sometimes I question these companies always merging uh, when families get caught in that. And, and uh, sometimes I think they have to question what is the purpose of the business. And, and I think uh, one of the purposes of the business should always be to take care of people and not just make money for stockholders and become a monopoly so that you can make a lot of money. And um, I think we're kind of moving away from that a little. And, and um, I'm mostly conservative, but when it comes to that, I, I, I um Sometimes I have to question if, if the right motives are there, and it's just all about profit. And I understand profit's important. I'm not discounting that. But I think there needs to be a balance, and sometimes I think we move away from that. I would agree. Um, I, I agree with you 300%. Um, yeah, everyone has to make a profit, no question about it. But uh, uh, but I don't know. if, if you Don't if need you, to be greedy. Don't you, need, you don't need to be greedy. Gre- yeah, be greedy. Because S&P Dow Jones just announced this week or the other week, Terry, that uh, there was over $1 trillion in stock buybacks uh, between April 1st, 2017 and March 31st of this year, which is just incredible financial engineering. And um, so uh, we don't need any more financiers. But um, um, but what, what would you give for advice for young people? People ask me that, uh, you know, what would you tell people that are starting out, say, like, not your kids, but say kids in their twenties or whatever, uh, to get ahead financially. What should what should people do? What, what would you? You've been doing this a long time, but what what are your suggestions? Well, um, number one, non-economically, you know, just talking about their lives. I've tried to teach this to my kids: is is to get as much education, good education that you can, and better yourself, and take advantage of every opportunity that you have, because the world is changing. And uh, my son could have become a regular dentist, but he, you know, wanted to kind of hone his skills and so took a residency to to help his skills out. And uh, so, you know, do everything you can to better yourself, you know, take advantage of opportunity. But then uh, don't get caught up in the world. And I've told, I tell my kids, and they get tired of listening to me that, um, and I haven't always followed this, but when I started doing it, I started doing, you know, a lot better financially but uh, I tell them, I mean, save 20% of your income. I mean, save 20. I mean, my son's going from not making anything. Actually, he's making, you know, small amount from the hospital to where he's going to be making very, very good income. And uh, if you get started in is saving, paying yourself first. Um, I also believe in being generous, you know. And uh, But if you, to me, if you save, your, if, if you save pay yourself first, and uh, pay, you know, be, be gener- have a generous heart, 
I don't care what religious denomination you go to, but try to help out and then pay yourself first. My dad always taught me, pay God first, yourself second, and then then you can take care of the rest. And so I don't think those principles have changed. I might, I might be out of date by some people, but uh, I still hold true and, and, and fast to, to save. I mean, I'm, 20% might be a lot to some people, but uh, I, I do it now. My wife and I do it now, and, and it's been a real blessing. We can help people that way. Yeah, it, you really... You're able to be a lot more independent, and um, and you don't have to be. Uh, well, I, I on the email. I don't know if you had a copy of the email um, you sent up, but it was Tom, uh, Mark Twain who said years ago, "A banker will give you an umbrella when the sun is out, and take away when it rains." And uh, um, you know, yeah. so so the idea of having patient, uh, prudent reserves in uh, it's really going to help everybody. I mean, it's going to help um, individuals. It's going to help. Uh, their families ain't going to help the banks, but you know, uh, but they're already too, I don't know it was forty fifty percent of uh, profits in uh, in the United States now from the banks. But um, um, it's really really that's spot on advice um, for for the next generation. And um, and um, this one little quick question too is that you know what, what's your take on the kind of the hypocrisy because you know you read my books um, that. A lot of these financial institutions who say life insurance is bad and the whole thing like that. Even Elizabeth Warren says she hates annuities, but this is one of her biggest assets. Why do you think there's so much hypocrisy in the world, Terry? What's your take on that? You know, I wish I knew the total answer. You know, the only thing I can do is 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 you know guess and and hypothesize and and all of that. I think um, I don't know. I don't want to be. Um, too cynical here, but I think uh, economics drive some of this. Uh, I think people want to make a stand because they have an interest in it. Uh, not saying that these people do, but um, you know, I think that uh, when young people hear these things, and it's really difficult for young people because they get hit up from all sides. We all do, not just young people, on where to invest, how to invest, where to keep our money safe. And I think is to use just common sense, and 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 uh, that's one of the things I've I've been a follower of, of of yours and your and your books, and and uh, really what you talk about in there is just good old common sense, and you know what makes sense and what feels right. But uh, to not be caught up, I mean, there's nothing wrong with listening to an Elizabeth Warren or some of these other people, and then you know deciphering in your mind what is right and wrong, and uh, find out if they have any hidden agendas. And uh, why they're why they're talking the way they do, but um, some of these people, and a lot of them are this way. They just uh, talk because they've got an economic inter- interest in it, uh, or that they they feel like they can gain something politically from it, um, and just 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 be on guard. Well, so, and even Terry, it's, it's been a really great show. Um... Let's keep in touch. You did a great job. You're actually very good in the radio. You, you, uh, you're very, uh, you're spot on. And uh, you got a thumbs up here from everyone, Terry. So uh, um, we just keep uh, keep pushing back the frontiers of ignorance, Terry. We'll be in touch. That's, and- that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. And I, I know you, you have an audience already, but your books are fantastic, and I, I, I love reading them. Well, well, thank you so much, Terry. So let's keep in touch, and you listen to. Okay, and, thanks, Barry. And uh, you have a good day. And that's. You listen to WSCA in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, 
And uh, my name is Barry James Dyke with my sidekick, Will Pierce, and my handsome engineer, Phil Kleiger. And we'll do it again next Wednesday. This has been The Economic Warrior with your host, Barry James Dyke. Broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio. Engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the wolves?